Happy Valentine's Day from the Chicagoland area. My name is Aldo Gandia. Welcome to another episode of GTF, Gabriel Talks Football. And uh, just wanted, again, wish everyone a happy Valentine's Day. All of you people out there who have a special someone in your life, today is the day to... uh, to totally ignore them. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Send them some flowers. Do something nice it's for every and anyone. Greg Gabriel, did you send her flowers today? No. Candy. <laughs> oh, candy. Okay, that works. <laughs> she, she doesn't like flowers. Ah, okay. Well, shit. I hope my wife likes flowers because I'm expecting a dozen roses any minute. All right. <laughs> Greg, I got to ask you about the Super Bowl. That's how we're going to start this episode. I thought it was a tremendous game, a disappointing finish, of course. We'll get into that. But overall, your impressions of the game, was it one of the better ones you've ever seen? Uh, well, I, I think the, the last few have been pretty good games. So, mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it, it was a interesting game because I think 90% of the TV audience had counted Kansas City out at halftime. <laughs> Very true. Being Patrick Mahomes was hurt and who know how he was going to come back, if he was going to come back, and he played a perfect second half. Now, granted, they, they changed things in their offense. He never threw the ball deep. He never had to put a lot of pressure on that right foot or right ankle. And uh, he did run the one time, which was surprising as hell. It was a heck of a run, too. But um, really, a a good game. Now, I don't know why you say kind of a crappy ending because, you know, I I, I agree with Tony Dungy. You know, Tony Dungy said, hey, it was a penalty. And you got to call a penalty when there's a penalty. And, you know, there was a uh, a fourth and two or something that the Eagles had earlier in the game, and there was an offside on the um, on Kansas City, and it gave the, the Eagles a first down. Okay, well, what are you going to forget about that penalty? People always concentrate on the last penalty when there's penalties all throughout the game. That and, are not called. In my opinion, it was it was a good call. See, my problem with it is that there are calls throughout the game that are not called. And you know more than anyone that there's holding on every single play. And that ball, because it was so vastly overthrown, there's no way. There's no way that receiver would have, would have got to that ball. Yeah, that but hold, hold been... Now, if the call was pass interference and it was an uncatchable ball, that's a different story, but the call wasn't pass interference. The call was holding. Right. So, and it was holding. He had his arm wrapped around him. He grabbed his shirt, and and on top of that, the guy said, "Yeah, I was holding." So, yeah, um, there, there's no doubt about it that, that the there was an infraction there. I'm just thinking that there are moments in professional sports, the NFL, NBA, MLB, you name it, where calls sometimes are are not made during crucial points of the game because the officials know let's let the players decide this outcome and that was a somewhat of a ticky tack foul I mean you got to look very closely to see the hold and it it really didn't impact the play it would not have been a completion so I'm not saying that the game was rigged but that ending was a bit ruined for me that could have been a really beautiful ending dramatic ending yeah, I mean, the difference is, let's assume the call wasn't made. Then the Chiefs would have kicked a field goal. 
And Philadelphia would have had more time to go down the field and either kick a field goal or score a touchdown. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's shoulda, coulda, woulda. We don't know what the hell would have happened um, because it never happened. But I had personally, I had no problem with the call. I totally agree with Tony Dungy's statement. So I'm holding to that. If somebody doesn't like it, so be it. Well, and and, and I understand both sides of of the uh, issue here. I just feel like, again, you know, I, I just wish those kinds of calls. It happened in last year's Super Bowl too. Uh, the Rams were were uh, attacking and they two call. years ago, wasn't it? Two years ago, Super Bowl. Rams and, and Bengals was last year. Right? Oh, last year. I yeah. well, I know there was one two years ago. There was a call that um, that was very impactful uh, yeah. on the outcome of the game. I think more so than this one. But you know what? I mean, there's nothing you can do about it. it it's it's done. Uh, the head referee said it was a good call. I wanted Kansas City to win, so I'm happy because my buddy Dave Tope gets another another ring. You know, and, and I, you know, I, I worked for Philly for a year, and I like Howie a lot. Respect the hell out of him. I mean, he just does a great job putting together uh, that football team. And he just does wonders with the cap. And his cap guy is uh, uh, worked here in Chicago for a long time, not for the Bears. He worked downtown at the uh, um, Board of Trade. Uh, And Jake Rosenberg is his name. And and Jake is just a genius when it comes to the cap and put together some of these deals. So, you know, how they do it, God only knows, but they do a hell of a job. Yeah. Well, I I, I I will say this about that call. It didn't ruin the the the, the great game. Uh, I just wish, you know, it was one of those calls the referees would have missed. <laughs> so. I'll tell you what I really like, though, because a lot of times you see a player isn't aware and forgets. The mm-hmm. running back could have walked in for a touchdown, and he falls down at the two-yard line. Yep. So smart on his part. Yep. You know, we don't need a touchdown. And uh, and if I score a touchdown, we might be giving them a touchdown back and have to go into overtime. We don't want to go into overtime. You know, so that was very heads up on his part. And, Greg, you know, I've always wondered why the defensive team doesn't rush over to that player and escort him, literally pick him up and carry him into the end zone. You see offensive players pushing. Because he gave up his body. Yeah, but you know he's, he was he's going slid. to. Once you slide and give up your body, it's over. Yeah, but you you know he's going to. So get over there as quickly as possible. Maybe you can push him into the end zone like offensive players do to quarterbacks on quarterback sneaks. No, I know that. But th- th- at the time, if you go back to that play, there was nobody within three yards of him. And he, yeah. And he, and he did the slide into second base, yeah. and that was it. It was all over. As soon as he did that motion, the play was dead. Yeah, I I, I – I, I looked at it a couple of times and noticed a couple of players kind of loafing over there, you know, uh, hoping perhaps that he would score on his own. But uh, I don't know. If, if I'm a if I'm a coach, I'm teaching that technique. If the guys, if you suspect the guy is going to stop before he gets to the goal line, push him in. <laughs> All but right. The other thing, though, too, and and I don't know if credit goes to Andy Reid or one of his assistants, the. 
the play calling on the two touchdowns, Kansas City's two final touchdowns, where they were, and one was on the right side, one was on the left side. They motion towards the inside, and then they quick change of direction and go back to the outside. And both times, this is really the same play to, to each side of the field, mm-hmm. wide open. And mm-hmm. the Philly coverage was nowhere to be found. Very excellent job of knowing how Philly would react to the motion. Mm, yeah, yeah, very good. It, it was it was a great coaching again by the Kansas City Chiefs. They uh, do not disappoint in that area. Um, I'd, I'd like you to address this question from Jay Sanders. He says, "Why doesn't Eric Bieniemy get credit?" Andy Reid says Eric calls the plays. Bieniemy is probably not going to get no, it. Andy, Andy, Andy calls the plays. Eric, Eric he's he's done some during the season. Not in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And, but from what I understand, it was the enemy that found those plays. You know, in, in, in his research leading up to the game, this is what we can do in a certain situation. Mm-hmm. And this is how Philly's going to react to it. I know he's being interviewed for an OC job where, you know, he's the OC in uh, Kansas City, but Andy's the real OC. Yeah. Okay. So, um, and Andy gives these guys an opportunity to call plays during the year at times, depending on the game, uh, to, to help them out. But the problem with the enemy is not that he's not a real good coach. He's got some history mm-hmm. and the history isn't good. And so that will, you know, when I said talking about draft choices, you don't want any, you want to know all the information before you make the pick because you don't want to find out. You don't want the media finding something the day after. Right. Well, okay. There's stuff like that with the enemy. So and, off, and, off the field stuff. You're, you're. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I think when he was in Colorado. So, um, and you know, could it be a big deal? I think it is because that's why he doesn't have a job. You know, mm-hmm. a head coaching job. Interesting. I had not heard that. Um, all right. So. <clears throat> The logical next question for all of us Bears fans is what can we learn? What can the Chicago Bears organization learn about how uh, more so Philadelphia than Kansas City, how Philadelphia has uh, rebuilt this team to get them back into the Super Bowl so quickly after they were led there by uh, and won with uh, Carson Wentz, or it wasn't Carson Wentz, it was Nick, Nick Foles. But Nick under, Foles, Wentz, Wentz got hurt. Right. Um, what can we learn from from uh, well, the Eagles? A, a lot of key players were still there. Not, you know, I mean, especially uh, on the defense. The they've done good drafting. Like their whole offensive line was drafted by them. Mm-hmm. There's no free agents on there. A lot of free agents on the defense now, um, and, the, and and they've got a mixture of of age and youth. Uh, I wouldn't be a bit surprised if if they had won that a couple of those older guys would have retired. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now having lost, they may want to come back for another year. And that's guys like Kelsey and two of the defensive linemen, Graham and uh, what's the other guy's name? The big defensive tackle who's a hell of a player. Not Hargrave because they could lose Hargrave. Right. Um, um, but uh, they're – he, he was a first round pick like a gazillion years ago. Mm-hmm. Flet, uh, Cox is that his name? No, Fletcher he, Fletcher Cox. Yeah. So it's 
he's done a good job. But, and, and Ian Cunningham was part of that rebuild. Mm-hmm. And, and so he knows it. And Poles was part of the build of, of Kansas City. Mm-hmm. So the, the blueprint of what happened with those two teams is really well known by the two big decision makers in the Bears front office. Mm-hmm. So Chris Watts wants to know, do you think that the Bears will rely more on the offensive scheme of the Philadelphia Eagles? No. No, that, in, in fact, the, the Eagles scheme is – it's a mixture. It's it's a lot of Frank Reich. And Frank Reich's scheme was some Andy Reid that came from Peterson, Doug Peterson, and some Kagon from back in his days with the Bills mm-hmm. and, and Jim Kelly, uh, and then some of his own stuff. So indirectly a little bit like Nagy ran here where, you know, Getsy is his own scheme, which is the Shanahan scheme. And I think they're going to stay with that. Now, the, the making plays with your feet, they're already doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, it's not like you're going to change the scheme because right. he he already makes plays with his feet within this game. It's it's really the, the you know the design of the play, right? You know, right. so I, no, that's not going to change. Um, Fields has gotten hurt more than than Hertz has gotten hurt. I'll tell you the one thing about Hertz though. You know, and, and Hertz last year was his first year starting, played a little as a rookie, um, but he wasn't head and shoulders above anybody a year ago. He was going through his struggles. And there was people, and I, I tweeted it out on, on Sunday during the game. I said, you know, how he took a lot of shit for making that pick in the second round. Because a lot of people didn't think he was close to being a second-round pick. Mm-hmm. And he saw something in Jalen Hurts that he really liked. I mean, Jalen Hurts, go back in his history, he gets beat out by, by Tua. Mm-hmm. At Alabama, and he leaves, and his numbers at Alabama weren't that good. But then he leaves and he goes to Oklahoma, goes in an entirely different scheme, and his numbers shoot up. Mm-hmm. But still, there were some accuracy problems and stuff. And now you see what he is now. But what is it? It's his second year within that scheme. Okay, next year is Justin's second year within this scheme. And I think you're going to see a, a big jump third year in the league, second year within the scheme. I think you're going to see a jump. I think the, the stuff that goes on and they keep talking about it. Oh, well, the bears are going to look at drafting a quarterback with the first pick my ass. They're in the quarterback in this draft that can touch Justin Fields. Now. Yeah. Could, could you have that perception to help the trade value? Yeah, theoretically, but I think it's bullshit because everybody knows they're not going to do it. Right. <laughs> but, you know, what's interesting now is, is that this is when the fun begins now. You know, the season's over. We know we know the draft order. Next, next thing up to bat is free agency. You're going to start knowing in two to three weeks 
who's going to be available in free agency, who's going to get tagged, uh, that type of thing. That's going to have a play to do. Does Deron Payne get tagged? And hell, there's about 10 teams that want Deron Payne right now. I mean, you know, you, you see it all over social media. Um, one of the players on the, on the Cowboys, Parsons, he's already saying, well, we could use Deron Payne real bad over here. You know, everybody wants the guy if it becomes available. Right. Nobody's got as much money as the Bears do. Right. Uh, but also, nobody has as many holes to fill as the Bears do. That's something that is rarely talked about. Everyone is, you know, I, I see social media accounts saying, you know, the Bears are going to sign four major free agents. I don't see how they can do that and have I see a roster. Three. Yeah, I, I think two or three is, is what I think. I, I see three with two being pretty good chunks of change. Mm-hmm. One being medium. And then all the rest being filler on, on the free agency side. And then they hope that they can trade down and get some more premium picks. But now that's where I wanted to go next because now Indianapolis has a coach and, you know, comes from Philly. So, and before that he was at Indy. So, you know, you know what kind of offense he's going to run. He had a real athletic guy in Philly and, and, and Jalen Hurts. So now it's going to be, okay, who fits the mold in this class the best to play that offense? Mm-hmm. And at the same time, Houston hired their head coach, who's a defensive guy. So then he brings over – one of his fellow assistants in San Francisco, Bobby Slowick, who was the, I think, the quarterback coach at uh, San Francisco to be the offensive coordinator uh, with the the uh, Texans. And that's going to be a scheme very similar to what the Bears play. But they could now zero in in the type of quarterback that they want. Now, will the, will some of the veterans play into that? I really don't think with either team it will. Obviously, it could, but the Colts have like swung and missed on that doing that. And I think they know they've got to get a young guy. Mm-hmm. I'm not so sure about Houston, but you know the the big names: Aaron Rodgers, maybe. Cars going to be available in about six more hours <laughs> right? and uh, then there's Garoppolo but I think Carr ends up in Carolina or New Orleans he's already visited New Orleans but it would behoove him to just to help drive the deal up to go to Carolina he's probably got a better chance to win at New Orleans right now but he's got to listen to Carolina's uh, talk. I'm sure the Jets will want to talk to him too. So, he, you know, he'll probably take a little tour. And and the beauty of, of a guy like him is that he doesn't have to wait till March 15th. Mm-hmm. He can sign tomorrow because he's a street-free agent. So uh, th- there's no rules stopping him from, from doing whatever he wants, but he will – 
I'm sure within the next week to 10 days, probably take three or four trips and then decide where he's going to go. So that's going to take one team out of the quarterback market. But I really don't think, unless it's Carolina, I don't think it it affects the Bears trading down. Okay. Okay, but right now you've got four teams in the top ten, theoretically, with a quarterback need. Right. Houston at two. Indy at four. I think the Raiders are at seven and Carolina at nine. Yeah. So uh, back to the Colts, do you see that they may want to try to find their own Jalen Hurts uh, to run that offense? And if so, which of the quarterbacks that are available in this draft would be a better fit for, for that? Well, if they're looking for a Jalen Hurts type, so an athletic guy with a big arm who's big. Now, Jalen Hurts, he's like – Justin Fields. He's put together. He really is, yes. Okay, so there's only one guy in the draft that's like that, and that is Levis. Mm-hmm. Levis is built like a freaking linebacker. He's like 230 pounds, you know, very muscular, got the strong arm and can make plays with his feet. So if you're looking for somewhat close to what Jalen Hurts is, that's who it would be. But that what would help the Bears is if the perception, it doesn't have to be reality, it just needs to be the perception. The perception is Houston and the Colts want the same guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so and does- even if the Colts want Levis and they think that Houston wants Young or Stroud, Mm-hmm. They gotta kind of play the game of, oh, we might have to get to one to get Stroud, or we might have to get to one to get Young, you know. And so, you you gotta make you gotta force the other team to make a move. And, and, and I still and I still think two moves are possible. Okay, yeah. Well, I want to get to that, uh, but first, let me ask you this as a follow up to what you just talked about: Can the Bears do anything to? help that perception that two teams or maybe even three teams want the same quarterback? Is there a campaign, you know, working with agents or uh, getting uh, some word out to reporters? I can't see that. You got to let the other guys do it themselves. Okay. And and part of it, look, it's the lying season. And there's going to be a lot of bullshit going <laughs> exactly. on. Okay? So, like, we go back, you know, the senior ball. So-and-so jumped up X amount of rounds. Bullshit. It doesn't happen. It happens on paper with analysts. It doesn't happen with teams. Mm-hmm. And I think we talked about that last week. I mean, you know what? We got If somebody outperformed what expectations were, it means go back and look at more tape. Mm-hmm. Did we miss something? And go from there. And the, it's the exact same thing with the combine. If you think somebody's going to run a 4-6 and he runs a 4-4, well, you missed on something, so you better go back and find out why you thought he was a 4-6. Mm-hmm. What do you think about what Don says here? Uh, Jalen Hurts, Justin Fields, Will Levis, all equal the flavor of the month. The NFL will always revert back to passing pocket-passing quarterbacks. The game's changing. I don't agree with that statement necessarily. I'm with you. you. Know, you're, in fact, I'll go back 
to when Jerry and I first came in. So that was a one. But you couldn't find them. We were looking for, ideally, and, and not necessarily to be a starter, but at least be a backup that you could bring in and, do, and put a package together for is a guy who could make plays with his feet and scare the hell out of the, the defense. Mm-hmm. And now it's becoming more the norm because you're getting more and more of these guys coming out of college. Mm-hmm. And you're going to get more next year. The kid from USA, perfect example. You know, so there's going to be a couple every year. And they put a lot of pressure on a defense because his ability to break contain and make plays with his feet is a thing you just can't account for. And it makes it really tough to defend them mm-hmm. because you got to, you know, you might have to put a spy on them. Sometimes you got to put two spies on them. Then you're weak somewhere else. Right. And a good coordinator is going to know how to attack that. Yeah. I think it's a, a, a trend that is just actually beginning to take I off. Totally agree. But you know, they're not going to be two or three of these guys every year. Very true. But if you can get one, more power to you. Better get them. <laughs> exactly. All right. Let's talk about this other topic. And then uh, when we're done with this topic, we'll, we'll talk about some other things we have on our minds. But I also want to get to some questions. Well, th- this whole idea of multiple trade backs so that you can acquire uh, multiple picks in this draft and maybe even acquire a second or even third first rounder for next season uh, is very intriguing. It, it's rarely, I don't know if it's ever been done in the NFL where it's been multiple trade backs in the first round from the team with the first overall pick. So I, I just want to get your take on this. What are the challenges involved with multiple trade backs to acquire all, all this draft at capital and do you have any advice for uh, a general manager, Ryan Post, somebody that you spent an hour talking with uh, recently? <laughs> you know, it, it, it's an interesting question, and I can answer it for me. You know, I've, I obviously can't answer it for them. I'm not greedy. But if I can go to two and then four, I'll do it in a heartbeat because I know I got an opportunity to still get a really good defensive player with the pick. Yeah. Okay. Cause you know, two quarterbacks are going to go then. So from that standpoint, that's good. But do I want to go farther than that back? No. Well, now I'm gambling. Okay. Yeah. And, and I'm getting greedy and you got, you got to draw a line in the sand and say, where's the drop off now? What we don't know. Okay. This is, Nobody in the NFL has come out and say Jalen Carter is the be-all, end-all, or Anderson is the be-all, end-all. And the what? They won't. They keep their mouth shut. It's 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 the analysts who say this. Right. And so, how the Bears have these guys graded or rated, and how some of the other teams have them graded, we're never going to know that. So that goes back to the thing with the quarterback. It's the perception. What the hell is the perception? Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, now, if the Bears don't have, say, if those guys aren't their, their first two defensive players, 
just throw a dart at the wall, some hypotheticals. Okay. Well, then you could go back even further, you know, because you're still going to probably get a guy where they got in a position. You know what I mean? They got a guy higher. Right. That the, that the, um, the analysts don't have. And so you, th- you know, and, and you're going to research this. You're going to find out who likes who and who's hot and who isn't. You talk to agents, and you got to remember when you talk to agents, they always lie, you know. And so, no, they do. I mean, their job is to push up their guy. Absolutely. Okay, so you know, if I'm going to call Mike McCartney and say, you know, Mike, where do you think your guy's going? About where he's going? Oh, he's going in the top eight. Well, of course he's going to say that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and God bless them. <laughs> That's right. So you you got to be just you know real fair. Oh, I got a dog coming in here to see me. Um, Bring him on camera. <laughs> no, I got to just shut the door here. Just All right, shut the door. I'm going to run a commercial real quick. Okay. All right. Uh, while uh, Greg is uh, welcoming his dog uh, back in, I want to talk to you about the barroom draft exclusives that has opened on February 1st. Patreon.com forward slash barroom draft. That's where you can get exclusive material of Greg Gabriel, the former director of scouting for the Chicago Bears, a 30 plus year veteran of the NFL, his scouting reports on players and how they would fit or not fit with the Chicago Bears, plus Danny Shimon's own reports. Danny has done professional scouting for agents who uh, are want to know more about prospective clients. So it's robust material. Material I write a weekly newsletter that some people have found interesting and some people just don't read. <laughs> but that's not why you're paying the 10 bucks a month. You're paying it for this man here, Greg, and for Danny. <laughs> All right, Greg, where were we? <laughs> Talking about perception and lying and all that other stuff that goes on right now. Thank you. But, you know, let's get to the first shorter business. So, so well, no, let's go where they are on the calendar. Right now, okay, we're, we're a third of the way, or almost halfway through the month of February. We are halfway through. Today's 14th. So what are teams doing now? Most teams right now are, are in meetings putting together their preliminary board. Mm-hmm. So, if, you know, if, if, if you heard an analyst say, oh, the Bears got so-and-so in their top 10, or another player, oh, he's a second-rounder, it's bullshit, especially if you said it a couple of weeks ago, because it's just now that you're putting together your boards and – what today's board looks like when they come out of these meetings and what the board's going to look like in two months for the draft is going to be entirely different. Mm -hmm. Now, up until now, 
all the board was was the highest grade you had in the system for each player. Right. Okay, so, and you might have five or six grades, you know, on a player, four or five. So, and if one guy has a real high grade, that's going to shoot one guy, you know, that particular player up a little bit, but it means nothing. It's just a picture on the wall, so Mm -hmm. to speak, of where you're placing a card. But at these meetings here, most teams, every team I've ever been with, you do it by position. Okay, so... And what I used to do is go with need positions first because you want to get, well, the guys are fresh. You want to talk about the important positions because as these things drag on and they can drag on for two weeks to 17 days, mm-hmm. you know, everybody gets tired, cranky and bitchy. So, you know, right off the bat, you know, <laughs> if quarterbacks your need, you want to talk about quarterbacks right away, uh-huh. you know, here you got defensive line, wide receiver, offensive line. They're probably the first three positions you talk about, you know, if you're the Chicago Bears, because you, you want to have good dialogue. And, and I'm going to tell you right now, some of these, you, you get on a certain player and get a little heated. I bet. You're going to have differences of opinion. Mm-hmm. And now when I was with the Bears, not so much as when I was with the Giants. The Giants, they got real heated. And I think George Young, God rest his soul, kind of wanted that. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he wanted confrontation and argument. Because, I mean, he flat out said to me, if you're going to agree with me, I don't need you. You know, so, but with us, I mean, you got to respect. You're hiring people because you think they can do a good job. Mm-hmm. And then you have to respect what they do. They put a lot of work in. So, you know, let, let's not be belittle somebody because he has a difference of opinion. And, and I've said this before, and I'll say it again. If I had a big difference of opinion with one of my scouts on a certain player, I'd say, hey, although, come on, we got to watch tape on this guy. Yeah, after, the meeting, after the meeting got over for that day, and a lot of times, you know, you usually start around 7 in the morning, go till – 7, 7.30 at night. But when the meetings got over or in a lunch break or whatever, you go in and you start putting the two of you go in start looking at some tape. Mm-hmm. But what I tried to do and I tried to get the other scout to do is, is I knew what he thought. It's in his report. He knew what I thought. It's in my report. I want him to look at it like through my eyes and me to look through it through his eyes. Mm-hmm. And see if we can come up, you know, I missed something here. And I see it now. You know, and, and then come together with some sort of consensus. Sometimes you're still going to be here and here. And then my decision, because I got the, I had the better job, for lack of a better. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you earned it. <laughs> That's right. So, um, but you, you got to be as fair as possible. Somebody has to be a a decision maker and and make the final decision. But a a grade that you have on a player is never going to be as high as the best grade, never going to be as low as the worst grade. It's going to be somewhere in the middle. Uh, What do you think about what J2K says here? It's a fallacy that GM's draft best player available needs and fit 
change how high you draft players. Hopefully, we fill as many needs as possible in free agency well, so we have less needs in draft. That's true and false because it's how your board is stacked. Mm-hmm. And who's to say who's the best player available? He's not sitting in the room and looking at the board. Mm-hmm. But your board is kind of stacked. You know, if um, – Okay, you got that that big offensive, a perfect guy, big offensive tackle from Ohio State, Jones. Okay, there's some people who might have a really good grade on him. Mm-hmm. Okay, the Bears won't, or they might have a good grade, but he'd be a minus in in the plus minuses because he's not a fit. Right, he cannot <clears throat> get out in space and play in space for an outside zone scheme. So you don't want him on this team, regardless of how good he is. He may become a Pro Bowl player in a gap scheme, you know, gap blocking scheme type thing. Mm-hmm. But in an outside zone, he can't play. So he's not even going to be, when you get to the draft, he's not even going to be on your board. So you're going to draft guys with lower grades over him, and you're not skipping best player available because he's not on your board to begin with. Right. It's right. how you, it, it's how you set your board. And, no two boards in the league are alike. You know, Daniel Jeremiah has his best player available, guys. You know, as you're, you're going through the draft and you're watching it on the NFL Network, and you're, you know, he's got these are my next five guys type of thing. Well, that doesn't mean they're my next five guys or your next five guys. Those mm-hmm. are his. That's his opinion, mm-hmm. and the opinions vary from team to team, and a lot of the opinions vary because of scheme. And what their profile is for that particular player, okay. or that not that particular player, that particular position. Mm-hmm. All right, let's tackle some questions, uh, and I'm, I'm glad you you addressed that because that's something I also wonder too about the whole. Well, let thing. me let me finish because because we leave it we leave half out. Okay. So what's also happening now, starting with the All Star games, mm-hmm. is the coaches are now involved. Every grade you have not you have prior has been from scouts or a GM or director of player personnel. Now going forward, the, the, the coaches enter into the, the discussion mm-hmm. and the scouts grades are already made. They're very rarely going to be doing much more work on this group, except, you know, go to the pro days and stuff. Their evaluation part, unless it, you know, it's a, they're a position scout and you want them to do a couple more guys at a position mm-hmm. or whatever, but it's really now the coaches come in and their grades then get entered into the system. Now what I used to do because the coaches didn't always understand a system and, and, and you didn't want to grade to, you know, <laughs> When you say, well, how did, how, how did this grade get here when the coach had this grade here? Well, it's simple. We changed how they graded. We said, I want you at the end of your report, put, he can start for us. He's a quality backup for us. He can make our team. He can't make our team. That tells me the grade right there. There you go. Yeah. You know, so I don't need a A67. Mm-hmm. Let the that's what the sky that's for the scouts. The coach is tell me if he can play or he can't play. Do you want him? 
Do you want to coach him? Mm-hmm. At, but with, like with the quarterbacks, and this will come into to play with the Bears trying to trade down, is that the love affairs begin not during the fall. The love affairs start now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And really it's going to be with the coaches interaction with the players. Okay. Okay. Starting while well, there was no senior quarterbacks except the Purdue kid at the all-star games. So starting with interviews at the combine and it's not only the, the 15 minute interviews because the day they come in, they don't have interviews. They got to go over to the trains, what they call the train station, which is directly across the street from the players hotel. Mm-hmm. And it is the old trade station, Union Station. And groups usually got usually got tables set up. There might be four coaches from four teams sitting at one table and, you know, one player. And they're all hammering them. And, and the coaches generally work with their friends. But they're trying to get specific information. And, and you can spend more than the 15 minutes allotted. And that, so you've got that opportunity to talk to guys. You've got the the fifteen inter, fifteen minute interview at the combine, and then and then we get into pro days. And with quarterbacks, my opinion, pro days are useless, totally useless, because they're scripted events, and there's no interaction between the pro coach and the quarterback guru. The quarterback guru runs the pro day. For a quarterback, it's totally different with the with the position groups. Yeah, but with a quarterback, the guru, whoever it may be, might be Palmer or whatever. You know, he runs the workout, he sets the script for the workout, and you watch, mm-hmm. and that's it. But now, if you get him in a private workout, we might have said this, and so I'm sorry if I okay. repeating it. Is that you know you're going to set? I'm, I'm going in on. Uh, you know, two weeks after the, the, the combine, I'm going to go in and go see Will Levis or, or Stroud or somebody, and you're going to get it there early in the morning. First thing you're going to do is, is get them in the classroom mm-hmm. in one of the meeting rooms. You're going to talk, have an interview. Uh, then you're going to do some board work, and part of it may be, okay, uh, draw up your, your three most favorite plays and then dissect them for us. Go through everything. What's what's each receiver doing? What's the protection being called, etc.? Who's your first read, your second read, your third read? So it really you get an idea of how he understands his own offense. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to get done with that. And, you know, your offensive coordinator or quarterback coach or whatever, he's going to start giving him some of your own playbook. Okay. Again, three or four plays. You know, this is what we do. Tell them the play name. And, and you know, you want the guy to be taking notes. And then you're going to hit him. You're going to get done with that. And you're going to say, okay, Joe, now you come up and tell me everything I just told you. Mm-hmm. Tell me about these plays. What do you remember? And then you're finding out how he learns and retains. How, he, how is he in meetings? Right. Right. Okay. Then you get done with that. Now you go out to the field. And part of the reason you're going out to the field, not just to see him throw. Hell, you've seen him throw at the pro day and stuff. You know if he can throw or he can't throw. It's can he take from the classroom to the field what you just taught him. 
Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And that's when the coaches get the love affairs with the quarterbacks. <laughs> okay. That's when Ryan Pace got a love affair with Mitchell Trubisky mm-hmm. when they had the private workout. And he and drove up in that car. Go, oh, I got to have this guy. <laughs> I got to have this guy. You know, so. Oh, boy. <laughs> and until that happens, mm-hmm. until you you get some coaches to fall in love, then, you know, just got to be patient for a trade to happen because all that other shit's got to happen first. Yeah. You know, and, and, and as you're, you're sharing that information, it reminds me of, and I'm actually posting this on our Barroom Draft Exclusives Patreon page, there's a moment where you talk about one of the things you would say to your scouts is go ahead and change your grades on this these guys. As, as the more and more information that you get, go ahead and change uh, your grades leading up to about a week or two before the draft. We, the key thing is to get it right. And, and, um, and so getting it right at this point after those private workouts involved the information that you're going to get from coaches who says, who will say, yeah, he didn't pick this up well, or he did, he picked this up really well. And so that would adjust grades, right? Well, that, the scout's not going to be involved in that part. They because, won't talk to the coach. Well, no, I mean, the, the coach is going to know what the scout thinks, okay. but the, 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 unless the scout is at the workout, gotcha. He's not going to, he's not privy to what's going on. So okay. he's, he's not going to have an opinion on that. He's scouted him dear to ear. He's talked to the, to the guy, the position coach, maybe the head coach, the coordinator, whatever, the trainer, the strength coach. He's gotten all the background mm-hmm. and he's derived his opinion from all the work he's done. So this is, you know, you're taking it a step further. Basically, it gets down to, do I want them or don't I want them for the coaches? Mm-hmm. And one thing you can't do, and I learned this a long time ago, you can't force a player on the coach. If the coach is adamant that he doesn't want a guy, <laughs> don't take him. Yeah. It's going to fail. Yeah. Regardless of how good he is, yeah. he's going to fail. Do, do scouts keep like a portfolio of all of their scouting reports and use that for job interviews? Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I still got a couple left, but mm-hmm. it's, it's, um, yeah, I didn't like my wife calling me a hoarder, <laughs> you know, so you finally have to, none of those guys are playing in the league now. Anyway, so who gives a damn? You know? uh, that would have been great archival stuff for the, for the book I'm going to write about you someday. <laughs> All right, let's tackle some questions. (laughs) I make more money if I do it after you pass. (laughs) All right, here's Nomad asking, I've been itching to ask Greg how confident he is about the Bears' direction after speaking with Pose. Of course, it's no secret that you were photographed on the sideline of the East-West Shrine Bowl game having a conversation with Ryan Poles. It's been talked about that you were – by his shoulder for quite a bit of time. What can you share with us and your attitude about the man after your conversation? Well, I won't share anything about the conversation. <laughs> uh, the, I, I, you know, did he tell me everything? Hell no. And, and why should he? 
Um, but I think he was being honest about what he did tell me. Mm-hmm. And I think it got a pretty good handle on what I think they're going to do. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's the lying season, so he could have been lying to me. But, <laughs> uh, and by the way, just to pat myself on the back, you yeah. know who started that phrase? No, you me. did. Oh, yeah, okay. Years I ago. It. I love it. There, that's the title of the book, Greg. Yeah, I mean, it goes back to when I was with the Bears. Uh-huh. You know, and it was something I did for something. I go, oh, this is the lying season. Everybody <laughs> lies. I love it. I love it. Um, so, but your overall impressions of the man and how he articulated whatever it was he shared with you. And you you just get a sense that, okay, this guy, I've worked with tons of general managers. This guy has it. Did you get that sense at all? Yeah, no, he's in, he's in command. Great. He's got a good thought process. He knows what he wants to do Mm -hmm. and he knows how he wants to get it done. Right. And now you can have a plan. Yeah. Okay. And the plan doesn't always work out. Mm-hmm. And don't forget, there's, you know, especially when free agency starts four weeks from tomorrow, um, you can have a plan to sign this guy, this guy, and this guy. Mm-hmm. But hell, there's 31 other teams out there. Mm-hmm. Yep, indeed. And well, the guy's got to want to come here. It's not only the money. Yeah, exactly. A lot of times it's the money. But the guy's got to say, hey, I, you know, I want to go to a place where I got a chance to win, yada, yada, yada. And he's, you know, it's just, it, it, it's got to work out in a variety of ways mm-hmm. for, for it to happen. Now, they're going to they're gonna get some, some good players. There's no question. They got too much damn money not to get, you know. So the, I just don't see him overspending. He might overspend a little. I don't think he's going to do something drastic like uh, Jacksonville did last year with a couple of players. Yeah. And really changed the market, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, we already saw that with Roquan. He, you know, he, he had a line that he would go to and he wasn't going higher than that line. And that line was pretty high. Right. But Roquan was adamant that he had to get $20 million. Not nineteen million eight hundred thousand, twenty million dollars, or he wasn't. You know, he wasn't budging. That's what he had fixated his head. And not having an agent hurt that whole situation. Mm-hmm. I, you know, and I think um, that to me is promising that he stuck with his plan because that's the key thing. If you have a plan, you have. I mean, there's going to be uh, situations where you got to plan because of uh, uh, things outside your control affect the plan. And so you have to make adjustments. But if you are going to take a very disciplined approach towards managing the money and trying to build first through the draft, you have to stick with that plan. And so the Roquan thing, I would love to have seen him play another five, 10 years with the Chicago Bears. But at the same time, if it wasn't part of the plan to pay some guy, uh, uh, an off-ball linebacker, 20 million dollars then he hopefully made the right decision all right yeah i mean and that'll that'll play out over a period of time Mm -hmm. but you know he 
he had, they both theoretically had a line drawn in the sand. Yeah. I mm -hmm. mean, there was, but you know, I, I, I know where he wanted to go mm -hmm. and where he would have gone. Uh, but it wasn't 20 million. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that it is what it is. And, and Hey, God love him. He got his 20 million from the Ravens. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we'll see how his old, whole career, uh, plays out. But the Ravens are a team that's on the verge of being a great team. Mm -hmm. And the bears are a bad team that's trying to be on the verge of on the verge. They've got to, you know, build, we keep saying it's build the foundation and mm -hmm. they're trying to build the foundation. He got rid of the pieces that he knew wasn't going to be part of this team, you know, part of their future, part of the team's future. So we got rid of him and he had mm -hmm. to bite the bullet on the money. Mm -hmm. But now he's got money, and he's going to bring in the type of players that he wants. What's this guy say? Polls worries me he's going to be thrifty. No, don't even think about that, that he's going to be cheap. He's going to be smart. Yeah. And, and I know the guy's got doing his contracts, and there's mm -hmm. nobody better in the freaking league. Yeah, you've really uh, uh, shouted his praises now for uh, years, so that's that's a good thing. All right, let me tackle some other questions here. We were on the line, linebacker talk, so Jay Rock wants to know your th thoughts on. I know you watch a lot of Buffalo Bills football. What about Tremaine Edwards, who is headed towards free agent free agency? It appears, and Bobby Okariki, uh, would they be considered big signings? Okariki or Okariki? I, I I remember seeing him at the Senior Bowl, and we called them Okariki's, okay. but I, I could be wrong. I've always called them Okariki, but I could be wrong. Uh, I don't know if, if Trumaine is a perfect fit, mm -hmm. uh, number one. Number two, he's going to try to get a real lot of money. Number three, Sanborn played that Mike position, and, and Trumaine is a Mike. Mm -hmm. Okay. Sanborn played that position until he got hurt pretty damn well. Indeed. I mean, he was doing like 10 tackles a game, making plays, causing turnovers, getting interceptions. That's your, that's your Mike. And he's going to be a real good Mike. What he has got and, and what every linebacker has to have is great instincts. Mm -hmm. So why are you going to spend 15, 17 million <clears throat> on Tremaine Edwards now, Okereke, different story. And Okereke has played, and I think he can play the will, and he's played for flus. Mm -hmm. Okay, but it's one thing I, I think I know is that I, I don't know what Okereke's health situation is. I don't know what his injury history is. Um, but that's going to play with every guy they sign. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Injury history is good. Age and injury history is going to um, play a big role in who they sign. In other words, I've said it, but I'm gonna, I'll, I'll repeat it. Hargrave might be, if he's not the best, he's the second best interior defensive lineman that could fit in the Bears scheme. But he's 30 years old. Right. And so... 
just turned 30. So now you're looking at a guy, you give him, say, a four-year contract or a five-year contract, because 30, 31, 32, 33, 34. Well, is he going to even live out that contract as a good player? Mm-hmm. You know, so, and the money you're going to have to pay to get him, which could be in that, you know, magical $20 million range. No, it's funny because this goes way back. In fact, it was 1990 season. And we had, a, I was with the Giants and we had a bunch of holdouts. And our opening preseason game was was in Buffalo. So I, obviously as I was at the game, because I lived in Buffalo. And, and so I was sitting with George in the press box and he goes, you know, George, anything going on with these holdouts? You know, you're making any because we're already into the first preseason game. And back then, veterans <laughs> love to sit out through two preseason games and then they start to trickle in because they knew they'd only got one chance to do it. That was the chance. <laughs> and but anyway, you're making any way he goes, No, oh, Jesus Christ, everybody wants a fucking million dollars. Well, now the hell the minimum's a million. <laughs> you know, it's how everything is, is changed. Hell yeah. Now, now the numbers, everybody wants $20 million. <laughs> That's like when you go to the store now, everything costs $100. It just, it just costs $10, not costs $100. My wife wants a special kind of bread. I went to the store this morning to get it. It was up a buck from the last time I got it. Unbelievable. I know. Unbelievable. Uh, Jay Sanders says that uh, Brian Urlacher did a recent interview where he said trading Roquan uh, created a bigger hole. He said we could have paid him. How are we going to replace that position? And and it's a good point. But don't forget, and I love Brian, but Brian's mm-hmm. always going to be on the side of the player mm-hmm. when it comes to that. So you, you've got to look at that open-minded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and because he was a player and was trying to get as much money as he could for himself. So from that standpoint, I get what his thinking is. That doesn't mean his thinking's right. Hmm. What do you think about what Lance Briggs recently said, uh, saying that Sanborn is a weak side linebacker, would be better suited for that role? Um, He may be right. I mean, you know, when you when you look at just the numbers, you know, the the the, the Olympics numbers, speed, agility drills, those types of things, Sanborn's numbers are a little bit better than Lance Briggs across the board. And what Lance play, will, and what Lance have great instincts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So from that, he might not be wrong. You know, and and that's a thing that the coaches have to decide. Mm. Nomad wants your thoughts on uh, uh, Keanu Benton and what his ceiling is, the defensive lineman from Wisconsin. During the year when I watched him, I didn't think he was a fit. thought he was a 3-4 nose tackle, mm-hmm. period. At the senior bowl, he showed – a little more initial quickness and athleticism, but the game tape doesn't show that. Uh, so I would say, you know, using the plus vanilla minus, he's a mm-hmm. vanilla. You might He's a nose tackle or a one technique. Vanilla, he can't play the three. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then 
Yeah, he 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 would not be a guy. He wouldn't be a first choice mm-hmm. as a one, but he'd be in in probably the second or third grouping to play that one if they if they don't get one in free agency type of thing. He's a good player, but he's got to play in the right scheme. And and this scheme, it's a one get scheme, and that's what people got to understand is what the profile is for each position. And, you know, they're gonna, there's going to be free agents that they're going to say, you got to have this guy. You know, everybody's saying T. Higgins. Well, first of all, T. Higgins is, isn't even available. Right. But let's say he was available. Well, T. Higgins is a big, tall receiver that really runs a 4-5-9. That's what he was when he came out of college. Mm-hmm. And don't we already got two of those guys? Yes, we and do. traded a second-round pick. And pretty well, Clay pulls the bus. Now, we've, we've repeated this a thousand times. And they knew it when they made the trade. People who've been in that scheme told me the exact same thing when the trade was made. The production you're going to see from Claypool is going to be next year, not this year. Mm-hmm. That system takes a while. And then, you know, throw in the fact that both Claypool and Fields got dinged up, and that slowed up their ability to work with each other because mm-hmm. they miss practice time together. But you're going to see it. Um, what was that? Go back. Somebody had a thing about Tommy Harris. What was Tommy? That? Ha- Tommy Harris needed someone strong next to him, like Tank Johnson. Well, so no, Tank Tank played the one sometimes, mm-hmm. but Spice Adams was the nose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And 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 Tank played the nose and the three. And Tank theory. Put if 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 we didn't have Tommy, Tank would have been the three. Right. Uh, but you know, you look at the numbers. You know, people don't know how fast Tank was. Tank was ran in the four sevens. Mm-hmm. Tommy ran four six eight. You know, so, those those guys are really hard to find. That 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 quickness. Right. And we also had Alfonso Boone. I forgot the last year Alfonso Boone was here, mm-hmm. but it, you know, we've had we had a couple different guys to, but we had. Across the board on the defensive line, they were all really good fits for the scheme. Hmm. I uh, I guess the point that's being made in the chat by Nomad and Ravi is that uh, it, the three tech doesn't don't they need a big body like a Benton next to them to really uh, 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 play the position well? Not necessarily. Okay. No, it's it's not a. a defense built on size it's a defense built on athleticism okay strength athleticism explosiveness um spice adams was six foot 305 pounds (laughs) okay now if you get if the kid from wisconsin goes up and does a uh a seven two five or a seven three three cone, and a uh, you know like a four three or a four four on the twenty shuttle and runs a four nine. Well, now you're going to look at them because raw athletic ability is there, and you might look at them a little differently. And I say, you know, he piqued my interest at the Senior Bowl because he showed more initial quickness and more athleticism than he showed playing for Wisconsin. I'm not saying he's not a good player. What I am saying is I don't 
know if he is a true fit in this scheme because this scheme does not use a true nose tackle. Very seldom do you see that guy line up head up on the center. He's in the gap between the center and the guard, and he's asked to do – he's not asked to two-gap. He's playing one gap. Okay. Have you had a chance to see the kid from Baylor, uh, Siaki Ika, uh, and can he play the three-tech? He's a big body. You know, that's an interesting name. In fact, when we do the DTs, he's in there. Mm-hmm. Um let me get the I, so I don't forget because I got this written down in here somewhere. Mm-hmm. Okay, go back to the year we took Tommy Harris. Okay, um, we had to have some some guys fallback guys if we didn't get Tommy. And one guy we looked at seriously was Vince Wilfork. In fact, I took the day before the Miami Pro Day, I took Vince out to dinner. And a nice guy. I don't think he ever went to class at Miami because he loved going fishing. He'd always charter boats and go out fishing and then go to football practice. But but one of the nicest guys you'd ever want to meet. And the next day, he runs, he was like, 315, 320. And he was heavier than that during the season. And he runs like a 5-1. And it's like, Jesus. I mean, this guy had great body control, great quickness. But you had to ask yourself, because we 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 spent a couple hours talking about this guy after this pro day. Mm-hmm. You know, it was Jerry Lovey and myself and the and the defensive line coach. And it's like, okay. What's he going to look like in three years? What's he going to look like in four years? Well, we know that. 360. <laughs> okay, so, and as good as Vince was, he was a 3-4 mm-hmm. nose tackle. And that's what he played for New England. Yeah. And a damn good one. Yeah. A more athletic Ted Washington. Of course, we got Ted at the end of his career, not the beginning of his career. Right. But the but a big body who could occupy people. He had some pass rush ability because of his quickness, but still that 315 wasn't staying there. Mm-hmm. Well, this guy from Baylor, he's already 350. And he's got <laughs> you look at him and you and and you it's like Vince Wilfork all over again. You you want to say, yeah, but Jesus, he's got quickness, and he can use his hands, uh, you know, things of that nature. But I think when it's all said and done, you're gonna do. They're gonna do the same thing that we did with with um, is is say in three years he's gonna be way too big for this or two years he's going to be way too big for this game, and he's not going to be able to do it because he's probably going to be 380. Mm -hmm. And, you know, how he works out at Indy in a couple weeks, that'll play something into it. I wouldn't put a minus on him because his play is pretty good and his athleticism is good. He's kind of freaky. Mm -hmm. I, I want to see what the actual numbers are. And, and, 
you know, Floos and, and Ryan and Ian, they're going to make the final decision on that. But right now, I, I just think that, you know, today, yeah, yeah. this year, 2023, mm-hmm. but he, he's not a three. He's a one in this scheme. And could he play the one? Yep. But could he play it two years from now or three years from now? And That's play right. it and play it the way you want it to be played. Mm-hmm. That is the million-dollar question. All right, let's move on to Cornelius Gualls asking, uh, what do you think about – do you think that there are more generational picks besides Carter and Anderson? And so that's assuming that you think those are two guys that are, could be considered uh, generational picks. Uh, I don't think they're generational picks, either one of them. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, and I think we, we've said this before. You go back a few drafts, you go to Chase Young. I don't care what's happened to Chase Young with some injuries, just what he was coming out of college. Mm-hmm. Or uh, Miles Garrett. I'll take either one of those guys over. And I like, I love Anderson, mm-hmm. but I'll take either one of those guys over Anderson. Mm-hmm. So how can he be generational? Yeah. And Carter has moments when he – totally dominates a game. Mm -hmm. Then he has other moments you're going, come on, come on. You know, where he just kind of takes off, you know, loafs, takes off the play. Right. You know, is he going to fit into the hits principle? And you're going to have to do your research because the talent way up here. Mm -hmm. Okay. Does he have the talent to be a top, player, you know, a a J.J. Watt type of player, the talent is there. You better have the heart and that football character to, and and I can't give the answer to that because I've never talked to any of their coaches or talked to the kid, but they'll know damn well before they make a pick. Right. You know, what what they feel is right. I'm going to tell you a guy, though, that, and he might have, I wrote him up for it'll probably come out this afternoon on Windy City. Okay. Aid, how do you say, Abadawari from Northwestern? That's close enough for me. Okay. Well, <laughs> he dominated at the Senior Bowl. Mm-hmm. Did you watch him at the Senior Bowl? Absolutely. He was fantastic. I watched every single one on one. He didn't lose one. Mm-hmm. One was, I'd call a stalemate. And which is, you know, basically 50, 50. Mm-hmm. He had two. Now, Jared Patterson from Notre Dame was a halfway decent offensive lineman. Not once, twice. And one showed up on Twitter. He got into his chest and pushed him back into the front row of seats, mm-hmm. you know, w- with his explosiveness. <laughs> but then another pass rush, he never lost a pass rush drill. Never. Yeah. He won every single one, and I and I'll be honest with you. I you know went to the Senior Bowl over thirty times. I don't think I've ever saw that. Yeah. Now he was somebody. Oh, he's too small. Well, he was six oh one four, two eighty four, and he had thirty four or thirty four and a quarter inch arms. So he's got real long arms. Real long. Okay, and on a six one guy, that just made him six two and a half or six three. Mm-hmm. Okay, now. Three of the best 
three techniques ever. Size. Tommy Harris, 6'2 and a half, 285. Tommy weighed 290 at the combine and then played between 285 and 290 here. Okay, then the original three technique, Warren Sapp, 6'1, 282. I only know that because I looked them all up. I looked up the, and they had 32 and a half inch arms. Mm -hmm. same, same as um, Tommy Harris. And then the guy who followed Warren Sapp was Booger McFarland. And Booger was six foot a half inch, 298. And actually had a little bit longer arms. His arms were like 33 and a quarter. So you're going to tell me that Aid can't play the three? Because he'll probably, you know, there's no fat on this guy. This guy is built like a rock. Yeah. You know, he, he'll, he'll play at 290 in this league. And he's got that explosiveness. Now, I'm not saying take him in the first round. I think you might get him in the beginning of the third because there's going to be teams because he's only going to be 285, 290 that aren't going to – he's not going to fit their profile. Right. So he'll be a minus for them. You know, you're going to have a 3-4 team that they're not even going to think about. Mm -hmm. You've got to have a team that, that plays in a scheme similar to what the Bears are doing that is going to have an interest in this guy. But I think he's going to be a hell of a pro. Really do. I'm with you. Great character. Uh, got has the drive to be the best. And three, uh, three year starter at, at Northwestern. Indeed. And played a lot as a true freshman. He was never redshirted. Mm. Oh, all right. So Eric wants to know uh, how much would you give up to let another team trade up for Carter? Now he he added to that. Assuming the Bears trade back to number four, how much would you give up to let another team take Carter? So uh, let's just play a hypothetical here. We don't sign a three-tech in free agency. So you're at four. Carter's available. What would you do? I'm taking him. Taking Carter. Yeah. If, if, if he checked all the boxes between now and in the draft, you know, okay. got through the, the medical and the interview, the, uh, well, and, and first the, the fallacy with the statement is you never know who a team's trading up for. Mm -hmm. They're not going to tell you and you're not supposed to ask. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and, and if they did tell you they're lying. So and a perfect example, when the bears made the, the trade, for when Ryan Pace made the trade to move up to get uh, Trubisky, mm -hmm. San Francisco thought they were moving up to take Solomon Thomas. That's right. <laughs> okay. who That's the guy they wanted, but they thought, well, what we're getting back, I'll lose him. That's, mm -hmm. He turned out being a, a bust anyway. So San Francisco takes him at three, and he was a bust. Um, so they, did, they didn't know that they were, he was – you know, the, the Bears were moving up to, to, to take uh, Trubisky. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But you never know. Now you're going to assume if a team moves up to one, they're moving up for a quarterback, especially if it's Indy or, or Houston mm -hmm. and Carolina. They're all moving up for a quarterback. So, but after that, after a couple of these quarterbacks are gone, yeah, then somebody's moving up for an Anderson or a Carter or somebody. And then it's like, well, okay, well, if I'm giving up that guy, who's my fallback guy? 
where where is this team picking? Because we, you never want to trade below the line where your your caliber of talent is going to drop off too much. Then mm-hmm. it just you know makes your trade worthless because you're regardless of the number of picks you get, mm-hmm. you, you still want a quality football player. Indeed, um, Mike. Uh... Inglass, can uh, how do you feel if the Bears don't take Jalen Carter? What do we? What do you think about the kids, Carl Brooks out of Bowling Green, or Kalijah Canty, or Tuli? Don't they seem like perfect fits for the three tech? Um, I haven't done the kid from Bowling Green yet. Okay. Uh, Kalijah Canty, the kid from Pitt, he's talking about, right? Yes. Kid from Pitt is really interesting. He looks like a poor man's Aaron Donald and from the same school. Mm-hmm. And because he was an underclassman, he wasn't at an all-star game, so we don't know what the exact measurables are. Okay, and so Aaron Donald was real strong, uh, had pretty good size. In fact, you know, Donald, I have to go back and look at Donald's measurables, but I think they were similar to aids as far as height and, and weight, maybe a little bit shorter than aid. Mm-hmm. And, but you watch can Elijah play it at, at uh, Elijah play at Pitt. He's damn good. But you know, is he 275? If he's 275, he's just, that's just too small. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd take him a little later and he'd be my, my, in the rotation, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, maybe because he is very, he plays strong. He's explosive. He's uh, got a great motor. I like the player. Um, there's stuff I just don't know yet. And I'm not going to know for another two weeks, two and a half weeks. Yeah. Um, Truly, I love. Yeah, I. You don't have to. In fact, I might like Tuli for the Bears better than Jalen Carter because that guy's got a that guy never takes off and down. Mm-hmm. And when you look at his his body, you know he's not a big long guy like. You know, he plays outside and inside at USC. He still had 13 and a half sacks this year. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> you can't discount that. The guy I don't like, I, I shouldn't say I don't like. I don't like as high as he's going to go. Is uh, the kid from Clemson. Oh. Miles uh, Murphy, is that his Ma- name? Miles Murphy, yes. Yeah, he's... He, he's like the kid who went first overall last year. He's going to be a trait guy. He's going to test off the charts. Mm-hmm. What's his sack production? Very yeah. minimal. Mm-hmm. And and the and the kid last year for Jacksonville finished this year with three and a half sacks. So if you're drafting a guy to sack the passer, and he doesn't sack, get sacks. What the hell good is he? <laughs> You're referring to uh, Trayvon Walker, of course. Yeah. Now, you know, he'll probably get a little better, but I'm, I don't see him ever being a double-digit 
pass guy. Now, when you look at the numbers, he should be. Mm-hmm. But he's just not an instinctive pass rusher. And Miles, he plays the run very well. And in the Bears scheme, he'd be a left end. Mm-hmm. He'd probably be a pretty good left end. But do you want to take a guy like that in the top 10? Yeah. I don't. Let somebody else make that mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, moving forward, let's see. Let's see what Don Burr is up to. Don Burr wants to know, have you uh, had a chance to look at Jalen Redmond, uh, the DT from Oklahoma? I don't think so. Let me wait a minute. Let me look at my list here because we're doing those guys tomorrow, right? That is correct. Um, Meanwhile, Cornelius thinks that the Bears will surprise a lot of people and not draft either Anderson or Carter. And I am with Cornelius there. I think that they're well. That I mean that that could be the case. It wouldn't it wouldn't shock me. And I I would I would not cry. That's the case. The, go back to the question a little while ago. Would you trade down to let somebody take Carter? That mm-hmm. if they make that decision that there's there's something missing, mm-hmm. that yeah, they could very well do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. My defensive tackles here. I'm just trying to see if I did that guy from Oklahoma yet because it doesn't ring a bell. Jalen Redmond. No, see. I haven't done him yet. All right, well, we'll take a look at him a little later, Mr. Don Burr. Send your 10 bucks in. <laughs> um, sophisticated Thoughts asks, uh, with David Montgomery possibly leaving and most GMs not wanting to pay top dollars for running backs, if Chicago's able to acquire an extra second-round pick, how does drafting Jameer Gibbs sound? And I got to tell you, I like this question, uh, Greg, because I do think that if the Bears acquire more draft picks for day two, that targeting a running back in round two or three would be the way to go as opposed to paying $10 million for a Saquon Barkley, although he's going to go for more, or Josh Jacobs. Saquon Barkley is going to be with the Giants. Yeah, he and I got that from the Giants. Okay, there you go. Okay, so, I mean, they're going to do everything they can to get him back. You know, I worked there 17 years. I'm close to a lot of people in the organization, and they flat out told me out at the East-West, we're doing everything we can to bring back quarterback and bring back Saquon. Um, I might be totally wrong, but I think the Bears are going to re-sign Montgomery at a favorable deal. Um, I do not, under any circumstances, see a running back, even if they do, if they don't take him, being drafted before day three because there's too many damn good running backs that you get on day three that turn out to be great pros. <laughs> The guy, who just, the, the guy who just tore up the Super Bowl went in the seventh round. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and you see it year after year after year. You don't spend a high pick on a running back. Years ago, you did. Mm-hmm. Not anymore. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. Well, I, I, and I, I love this running back class, uh, but there are some hits and misses, you know, and so you got to tell you a guy I take in a heartbeat on day three is the kid from Illinois. Chase Brown. Really? That guy's a good back. It's a good and back. I, and I know he had some struggles at the senior bowl. Yep. Yeah. What do you have? 1800 yards in the big 10 this year. Yeah. And, and it catches the ball really well. Kid from Syracuse, pretty damn good too. 
Love the kid from Syracuse. I'm just worried about Chase Brown's blocking, and we already have a guy like that on the team named Khalil well, Herbert. Blocking is want to. If you have the want to, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. can become a good blocker. Yep. Okay, so I, I don't know what Khalil's want to is. Monty wants to be a good blocker. Yeah. But anybody, you, any guy out there, if although if you want to be a good blocker, you can be a good blocker. It's mindset. <laughs> it's strictly mindset. You got to stick your nose in there, take a hit, and give a hit. But you got to have the body for it too. You got to have the muscle. You got to have yeah, the. Yeah, but leverage. I mean, Tariq Cohen was a halfway decent blocker because he had the want to though. Yeah. And he's 185 pounds. Yeah. I just worry about these smaller guys. Like, for instance, Darnell Mooney is a perfect example. The wide receivers with the Bears are asked to do a lot of blocking, and Mooney did it courageously, but it cost him. It yeah, cost but the guy him. rolled up on him, too. Yeah. So, anyway. Um, and if the guy not rolled up on him, he doesn't get hurt. Yeah. Uh, this is a good question to end up this episode of GTF. It's from J2K. My man says, who was one of your favorite draft picks, Greg, that you scouted? Someone you got right who was a sleeper or you found late in the draft. Can you recall a player like that? I mean, I'll I'll just throw out one name immediately. I think a lot of people, when you drafted, you guys drafted uh, Devin Hester, we were like, really? In the second round? Really? Yeah, but the whole, that whole draft was built around drafting Devin. Really? We went in wanting to take Devin. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, we, traded, we traded down. We had a pick late in the first round. We traded out of that pick to pick up extra picks. So we had two seconds because we knew we could get Devin in the second. We gambled a little bit. We, we took um, the other defensive back. With our first second, then Devin with the second second, and it almost failed mm-hmm. because Houston had called Devin and said, We're going to take it with our pick. And then they didn't take him. They took the running back from USC, who ended up being a bust. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the only reason I know that is because when I called Devin to draft him, Devin, I said, We're going to take it with our pick. It's coming up. He goes, For real? And I go, Yeah, for real. Why, why would I lie to you? He goes, Well, Tennessee lied to me. <laughs> and he told me the story. And so then Tennessee, and I said Houston by mistake because it was the old Houston Oilers. Um, <laughs> they, you know, they were having an argument within their their draft room between, I can't remember the running back's name from USC, but he sucked. And, um, and Devin and you know, I think the coaching staff won, and they took the running back, and the running back was was a bust. Mm-hmm. And otherwise, we would have screwed up and not gotten them. So I got. Let's stay on the t- topic of Hester because it was very disappointing for his fans, of course, that he was not uh, selected to the Hall of Fame at least yet. Uh, your thoughts is he is he going to make it next year? I don't know. I, you know, there is a group of, and I talked to a voter, and he said it wasn't even close. Wow. And, you know, it was close in that he got into the final 15, but it wasn't close to get in. 
Right. And there is a block that are adamant against special teams players. And there's like one guy in particular that he wants another special team player in before Devin. And that's Steve Tasker, who's probably the, you know, he, he was an all world special teams guy, cover guy and stuff. Mm-hmm. Great player. But Steve, and, and you know, I'm a fan of Steve Tasker. He deserves to be in. Tasker does. Okay. But Steve Tasker didn't change the game of football. Correct, though. Devin Hester changed the game. Correct. They changed rules because of Devin. Mm-hmm. So, but that that's what's going on. So, you know, it, whoever it does the selling, and I think it's Pompeo does the S because he's local. I don't know if there's more than one local voter, but they uh, got to they got to do a better job. You you got to start your lobbying now. It's like you know you yeah. can't. Yeah, indeed. I mean, and you got you and you and these voters who are against special teams players really need to realize and acknowledge that special teams are an instrumental part of the game of football. And even with the rule changes, it's still an instrumental part. And you can't tell players to have pride in playing special teams if the Hall of Fame committee has a bunch of members who don't consider them worthy of being considered for the Hall of Fame. To me, no, that's the There's angry. no question. And, and Devin's going to get in. It's when. Yeah. But how about this? Because if – Two years in a row, Olin was a finalist. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now he's like buried. That's sad. Because what happened, you know, you get that that new group that comes in every year, five years out, and right. there's this big thing. Oh, you're gonna be a first ballot, first ballot, first ballot. Why does he why does somebody gotta be a first ballot? Mm-hmm. Well, it seems to me that they get forgotten if they're not. That's right. <laughs> That's exactly what happens. And and so now he gets pushed down. You know, it, it, shit, Ola might be dead before he gets in. I mean, that's you know, that's so sad. You know, like guys like Joe Klecko and stuff, they ended up getting put in late for a senior guy or something that gets added. And, and, and you know, he's one of the best centers that ever played the game. Yep. Indeed. Indeed. Um, Caesar wants to know. Could Hester have been a better defensive back than wide receivers if the Bears would have left him at DB? No. How come? Just didn't have the mentality. Okay. And and what happened was we started him at DB. Right. Okay. And, and Lovey had gone down there and worked him out. In fact, the story is the owners' meetings that year were in Palm Beach. Mm-hmm. Okay, what the hell is that big, fancy, expensive hotel in uh, Palm Beach? That's, but anyway, that's where the meetings were. Fontainebleau? No, but so then Lovey leaves the meetings, like just for a day, goes down to Miami and uh, works out Devon, and they had another defensive back who Seattle took late in the first round. And we were considering that guy, too, had we not been able to, to trade down. So we went right about, you know, where he should have gone, at mm-hmm. least based on on our evaluation. And Lovey thought he could, he, he could play DV. But then when we got him, because he was like 
the fifth corner mm-hmm. as a rookie. Mm-hmm. And being the fifth corner, he had to play, you know, you didn't have a practice squad like you have now. And so he was a wide receiver on the scout team. Nobody could cover him. <laughs> of course not. Nobody could cover him. <laughs> and then it was about three quarters of the way through his rookie year when they said, you know what, we gotta we got to make this guy an offensive player. Mm-hmm. But we're not going to do it now. We'll wait until he can get through the whole offseason because you just didn't want to put him on overload. Right, right. Yeah, it, it, it was a fascinating process that he went through to get him uh, those snaps at wide receiver. Do you think Jay Cutler got along with Dave and Hester, Devin Hester? I have no idea on that one. I could make a phone call and find out. Yeah, because the, the reason I asked is, is that it seemed like Cutler, who was always seemed like he was. Angry. I was only with Cutler a couple of years, so you okay. know, it, it just seemed like Cutler was always agitated with Hester. You know, wide receivers run bad routes, and, and Hester was was notorious for not running the routes that he was supposed to, and so it seemed like uh, Cutler didn't have the confidence in him. Cutler, you know. Not not one of my favorite X Bears. Okay. Not very, so. very talented. Rare talent. Mm-hmm. I think it's fair to say he's his own worst enemy. I think that's perfectly put. Okay. Really the last question, because Tony has a, a good last question here. I think you guys may have talked about this before. Should there be an upper room in the Hall of Fame? I, I saw this for the first time on Twitter last week. I had uh, what, no, what's it mean, an upper room? I don't I, like I don't. A, a Hall of Fame room for the real Hall of Famers, like the uh, really you know, great guys. I, I saw that mentioned the other day. Mm-hmm. And you know, because they say that the, there's getting too many members. Well, there's a lot of guys who play the game. Yeah. You know, so you got 32 teams. You got guys who, who put up great numbers. I, I, no, I, I don't think you should have a Hall of Fame Hall of Fame. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I agree. I agree. I, you know, it, it it is what it is. I, I uh, Same with ba- baseball is too strict, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and I and I think they should get rid of some of the the voters in baseball because I, I you know like some of these steroid era guys they don't vote in. Well, you know what? If you went and checked the numbers, because there's guys from that era that have gotten in, mm-hmm. probably eighty percent were doing something. Yeah. Because everybody was. And the same with the National Football League at that time. Right, right. And so I I, I don't want to hear about, oh, he's juiced up and all that. You know what? He still had to swing the frickin' bat and hit the ball out of the park. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep, indeed. By the way, Nomad reminds me uh, that Tony the Pod Boss is a brand-new dad. Yes, he is. He had a... a, picture on Twitter the other day, yeah. like yesterday or the day before, two days was, ago, I think. Yeah. I think it was two days ago. Beautiful yeah. baby with lots yep. of hair, gorgeous kid. Congratulations, Tony, the pod boss. I think that's a great way to end up this episode of GTF. And I just want to remind people that tonight at 8 p.m. Central, it is Bear Their Truth. We've got a lot of football. We're going to continue our discussion on Devin Heston. We're going to look back at the game. My good friend Dan Aguirre thinks that the game was rigged. 
And so I'm going to talk him out of that. <laughs> no, no he such thinks, thing. All right, Greg, send a message to Dan Aguirre because Dan Aguirre believes that the NFL favors superstar athletes like Patrick Mahomes and that there are calls being made by the officials to favor the superstars. What say you? Um, I think there's superstars that get calls, but I don't know if Patrick Mahomes is going to get a call like Aaron Rodgers gets calls <laughs> or Tom Brady gets calls. You breathe on Tom Brady and you get a penalty. <laughs> you know, I, I, I've seen Patrick Mahomes and, and Josh Allen get the shit kicked out of them in games indeed. and nothing's called. And, and we've seen it with Justin Fields who's, you know, you got to pay your dues, but Tom Brady, you get near him, flag. So do you, you think that players who are great over a long period of time pay their dues, as you just said, do get preferential treatment, whether it's subconscious? I think or- it's subconscious. And I, you know, it, it happens in basketball and mm-hmm. hockey. And, you know, you're going to say LeBron doesn't get calls that other guys don't come close to getting? Okay. But you don't think that uh, Roger Goodell is telling the head of officials, make sure Patrick Mahomes wins this game because we want to have a new superstar face of the league. No, I, I would absolutely say that doesn't happen. Okay. That's going to be and my I'm opinion. 100% positive of that, too. Yep. We're going to have a. That, real- I mean, you'd, you'd lose. Well, he wouldn't be the commissioner if he even thought about it. And he'd lose all integrity in the game. Exactly. That's the the whole point. I mean, this league has now embraced gambling. Do you, do you think that they would risk the integrity of the games if they were to be a part of any kind of fixing, rigging of football games? Oh, it, it, it's, it's, it's suicide. Yes, it's suicide yeah, for the brand. Yeah, <laughs> so, we got to say it because I got to talk to you for a second. Just so. All right. Uh, so watch us tonight at 8 o'clock Central and the rest of the week. We've got great programming. Take care, everybody. Thanks a lot for uh, being in the chat and letting other people know about this program. Take care. See you later.